happy birthday, Dayton. It is, it was Dayton's 225th birthday this week. So, oh, happy, happy birthday. All right. City I know and love. Welcome to this week's edition of An Hour of Your Life. My name is Kim. And I am Steve. We have a special, it's not really a special episode. I mean, it is a special episode, but it is, it's an anniversary episode today. I, th- I think this one is a very meaningful episode to us because we're going to be talking about our people, our neighbors. Yeah. And we'll, we'll get into that in a little bit. But yeah. before before we get there, let's take care of our opening little business right All here. right, let's okay. do it. Okay, so we have, some, we have some new followers. Welcome. We have Ann B. Mann. Jones, G. Hardy, Zero, and Kiko. So welcome, <laughs> welcome. So your task, we're going to task you. You've got to spread the word, and you, you've got to tell five friends about our show, and that's it. Just tell five friends about our show, how to get to us, and listen to us, because we love what we're doing here. We Yeah, and we would also like to say hello to our friend in Iowa, Patty was kind enough to send us a an email this week. We always love hearing from our f- listeners. So hello, Patty, and thank you for the kind words. And from our technology, I know Patty went to our website. Oh, the, way, the way it came in, yes. Yeah, there so. you go. Also, oh. hi to all of the people that are listening in Ireland this week. Ireland's been blowing up. So yeah. I don't know why y'all like us so much over there, but thanks for listening. Yeah. Okay, so let's let's get into this show because this one does have the potential to go long. And this show, this episode, we are it's light outside. It's yeah, and we which we, is weird. Yeah, we usually record in the dark, but it's it's usually dark when we, we and go it to is record. it's a beautiful day today. It certainly is, and there are people who recall April third, nineteen seventy four, is starting off exactly like you said mm-hmm. as a beautiful day. It is April 3rd, 2021 today. Um, it is a very significant day in the history of the Dayton area. I think, well, it's it's more than the, the Dayton the area. World, this I guess this the changed States. a lot, the United States. A lot of things changed because of this day back in 1974. Well, uh, let's, yeah. Yeah. So right, let's so, yeah. talk about what happened. So, yeah, we're going today we're going to be talking about the... The, the tornado of 1974 that pretty much destroyed the city of Xenia, Ohio. But before we get there, well, I mean, we are going to get there. So the local natives called the land around Xenia, Ohio, the land of the devil wind. Apparently, tornadoes have a long history near Xenia, Ohio, because they, I mean, the Native Americans said the, the native wind. Yeah, and this is interesting because growing up here, I, w- the local legend says that Xenia means Land I, of the Devil Wind, but we in the research we couldn't find anything. Yeah, that I, I don't that think up. Xenia actually means yeah. the Devil Wind. Right. It's just yeah, they, they local call lore. this area yeah the Land of the Devil Wind. So Xenia is a small town located in southwest Ohio, in Greene County. Located it's 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 about sixteen miles east of Dayton, Ohio. If you're trying to reference it, Xenia has a population back then of about twenty five thousand people. Xenia is the county seat of Greene County, and if you're not familiar with how our system of government works, we have the state, and then we have counties. I, th- I think a lot of states do. Maybe mm-hmm. down in Louisiana, they have a parish or something yeah. like that, yeah. But um, there are some other unique things about that, like we have Washington Courthouse. 
But that's for another yeah. episode. Yes. Yeah. The land around Xenia is, I, I guess we describe it as farmland, although there is light industry in town as well as scattered out through the county. Um, there's a lot of small businesses in town. Mm-hmm. And again, it's just surrounding the city of Xenia and just all, all around. They're just small businesses. Yeah. In other words, I just say Xenia is the typical town in Southwest Ohio. Yeah, you get the courthouse and the jail right downtown as the county seat. And then there's businesses that start, you know, that's kind of the heart of the city is the courthouse. And then, um, you know, there are businesses that are kind of clustered there and then they get more sparse as you get out into the country and then you got farmland. Yeah. It's typical and on, Ohio. And then on top of the jail, it's yeah. caged in. And yeah, you can watch you, them play basketball. You can watch the prisoners <laughs> playing basketball up there sometimes. So anyway, on April 3rd, 1974, an F5 category tornado struck Xenia, Ohio. Now, an F5 is the largest and most powerful tornado on the scale. And we're going to get into the scale a little bit here in just a minute. Yeah. The tornado that hit Xenia was part of the, of the worst outbreak of tornadoes recorded in the 20th century. 300 mile per hour winds destroyed more than 1,000 homes and businesses in Xenia. Wow. Yeah. Hardly any buildings remain standing in Xenia's downtown. So if... And if you go to our webpage, we've posted a photo of, of what Xenia looked like after the tornado. 33 people died in the storm with approximately another 1,150 people that were injured because of this storm. President Richard Nixon visited Xenia a week following the storm. It was just an unannounced visit. He popped in and he said, it's the worst disaster I've ever seen. The story that we want to tell today is more than the story of a tornado. It's a story of tragedy and destruction of epic scale. It's also the story of a, a community that, that comes together in, in an uncommon spirit to perform amazing first response, mourn, and rebuild. It's a story about what we call real people and the hallmark of people from this part of the country. Yep, makes me proud to be a Daytonian. Well, let's first describe exactly what a tornado is. So a tornado is a violent rotating column of air that's in contact with the surface of the earth and a cumulonimbus cloud. We're going to get kind of scientific here, so just strap in. Sometimes tornadoes are called twisters, whirlwind, or cyclones, depending on what part of the country you come from. Most tornadoes have wind speeds less than 110 miles an hour, and they're about 250 feet across. They travel a few miles before they return back into the cloud from whence they came But the most extreme tornadoes can have wind speeds of more than 300 miles an hour, and some are more than two miles in diameter. Now, for our metric friends, that's uh, 480 kilometers an hour um, and more than three kilometers in diameter. Yeah. Now, typically, we don't see tornadoes that big in Ohio. Those are the ones you see out Out in in Kansas, Oklahoma, Oklahoma, and places like that. Um, How long tornadoes stay on the ground just kind of depends. A tornado could be on the ground for a few hundred yards, or in extreme cases, they might stay on the ground for a few miles. Sometimes a funnel will dip out of the clouds and never reach Earth. Um, Tornadoes can even happen over the water. We call those water spouts. Um, And North America has the most tornadoes of any place else on Earth. And there's a reason for that. There is. The central and southeastern regions of the United States have earned the nickname of Tornado Alley, but tornadoes can happen just about any place on Earth. And here in the United States, we have approximately four times the number of tornadoes in Europe. So for a reference, for an example. 
And the unique geography of the continent of North America is the reason that we are the leader in tornadoes. Yeah, so with North America being a large continent that extends pretty much from the tropics in the south to the Arctic areas in the north, we we don't have any major east-west mountain ranges to block the airflow between these two areas. In the central part of the United States where most of the tornadoes occur, we have the Rocky Mountains that block moisture and disrupt the flow of air as it's coming from the west coast of the United States. It hits the Rockies and it just it disrupts the flow of air. Essentially, what the Rockies do is they force dry air into the plains and this causes the formation of low pressure areas downwind or to the east of the Rockies. So, I mean, there's a lot more technical yeah, that's stuff they, they as talk about layman the as we can get. Yeah, yeah. And you love this stuff. Steve is super into meteorology. I like, yeah, I do. Fun fact. So there are meteorological reasons involving the troposphere, but for the sake of this, let's just say the Rockies are key in causing low pressure areas east of the Rockies, and those low pressure areas drive the weather for most of us east of the Rocky Mountains. Now, let's throw in the warm, moist air from the Gulf of Mexico that comes up through the Gulf and hits into the Central Plains or this area. And that fuels and energizes these low pressure areas and the developments. And when this happens, you now have got the perfect conditions that breed strong storms throughout the, well, really throughout the entire year, Mm -hmm. which affect the weather pattern for most of the eastern United States. Now, we say throughout the whole year, typically in this area of the country, in the Midwest, tornado season typically runs like late May, early June into about September. Yeah. Okay. So when all the atmospheric conditions are just right, the storms are super energized. And when specific conditions develop, we do get tornadoes. Now, these weather patterns, that's what drives our rain, our snowstorms, Mm -hmm. but all the things just have to happen to to make this a tornado. Right. Yeah. So now to emphasize April 3rd and 4th, 1974, take those conditions, supersize it, think of the perfect storm, and you have the conditions that happen across the country on what, what's become known as the night of the super outbreak. Now, tornadoes can be detected before or as they occur through the use of pulse Doppler radar. And as we get into the episode, you're going to learn how Xenia is a big part of pulse Doppler radar now. And by recognizing patterns in velocity and reflectivity data, such as hook echoes or debris balls, as well as train storm spotters. So there's lots of science in this, like, and we are dumbing it down big time, I feel like, because I personally don't understand all any most of this stuff um so when we're under a tornado watch it means that the conditions are right for a tornado and the weather folks are looking for that hook echo which is pretty much exactly what it sounds like it's a pendant or a hook shaped weather radar signature as part of some supercell thunderstorms with weather radar you can see its formation in the clouds and a tornado warning means a tornado is on the ground You need to take shelter immediately if you are in the path. And typically that means heading to your basement. If you don't have a basement, that means getting to the innermost room of your house where there are no windows. Um, We use the Fujita scale for rating the strength of tornadoes. The Fujita scale ranges from F0, which means a tornado of 40 to 72 miles an hour, which could be expected to cause light damage. 
And the highest rating is an F5, which are winds of 261 to 318 miles an hour and above. That's destructive. Yeah. An F5 tornado can be expected to cause, quote, incredible damage. Um, In the area of Xenia, that tornado was an F5. So the National Weather Service is responsible for predicting the weather of the United States. They do this through a network of regional and local weather forecast office, or WFOs. The National Oceanic and Atmospheric Administration is the parent unit of the National Weather Service. The National Weather Service office boundaries and technology were they were different back in 1974. A lot different. A lot different yeah. The Weather Service office, or the WSO in Cincinnati, served the greater Cincinnati tri-state areas. When we say tri-state, we're talking Kentucky, Ohio, and Indiana. Mm-hmm. And um, while the WSO Dayton was responsible for the Miami Valley and West Central Ohio. Now, in those days, not every NWS office was equipped with radar. A weather surveillance radar was installed at WSO Cincinnati in 1960, giving the NWS meteorologists uh, basically coarse reflective data, but no velocity data. That means they could, the storms, the, the clouds would reflect and they could see it, but they couldn't pick up any wind details. But you could right. see you those, don't know how fast you could see those hook and... echo patterns, gotcha. and that's what they use. That's where the tornadoes are going to occur in that hook echo, what they call the, the hook echo part of the storm. Mm-hmm. So this made it extremely difficult to detect tornadoes. They you know, they had an idea, they didn't but have it wasn't the velocity. Yeah, it They wasn't don't know there. how traffic and, and you can't blame it because the technology just wasn't sure. there. So storms on the radar, radar screen were traced onto thin paper maps, and meteorologists relied heavily on the watching those hook echo areas as well as spotter reports when issuing tornado warnings. Which and is again, you got to unbelievable you, to me. Yeah, which again, you've got to kind of look at the technology of the time. Yeah, now we've got it to where they can trace a tornado to a specific block versus just tracing it on a map. Yeah. In 1974, WSO Dayton did not have a radar of its own, but it used utilized a facsimile machine, a fax machine tied into Cincinnati's weather radar. Cincinnati is known as CVG. That, that's the same designation as the Cincinnati Northern Kentucky Airport. And I bring that up because we're going to have to talk about Cincinnati and CVG later in the show. Now, on April 3rd, a large mass of cold, dry air dropped down from Canada toward the Mississippi and Ohio River Valleys, and an opposite mass of warm, moist air pushed northwards from the Gulf of Mexico. They were set to converge beneath an intense jet stream with 140-mile-an-hour winds at an altitude of 40,000 feet. Again, setting up that... The perfect storm conditions right. right here. Now, the forecasters knew these conditions made for extreme storms, but they had no idea exactly how strong they would be, how widespread, or even precisely where they would erupt. So the super outbreak, as it's come to be known, was the powerful storm system on April 3rd and 4th, 1974, that made its way across the United States and into the Ohio and Tennessee valleys. In that period of time of 16 hours, the storm produced around 148 confirmed tornadoes, which is one tornado every six minutes. The first one occurred in northern Illinois and was a short-lived system. Now, in Xenia that day, it started off with a forecast of warm air and a chance of rain, maybe thunderstorms. By noon, 
the temperatures had risen to the upper 70s and the wind had picked up to around 30 miles per hour. Humidity was high. Nobody predicted what was about to happen as all the pieces of the storm began to form and come together. When the Cincinnati radar displayed the hook echoes and other impressive storm features outside Cincinnati's warning area on April 3rd, meteorologists there started to make calls to the appropriate neighboring offices. At one point, Cincinnati radar screen displayed five distinct hook echoes, more than meteorologists there had ever seen before as they were... So they knew something was coming. Something's about to happen. Just after 4.30... PM, Cincinnati called Dayton to make sure they had seen the hook echoes, one of which was rapidly moving towards Xenia, Ohio. In fact, the National Weather Service in Dayton had already issued a tornado warning for Montgomery and Greene counties around 4.10 p.m. The warning was in effect until 5 p.m. The warning was based on radar indication of a possible tornado 25 miles northeast of Cincinnati moving northeastward. The tornado touched down about 4.33 p.m. near Lower Bellbrook Road. Now, I never realized where the tornado touched down because I never really thought about it because we just hear... We think of Xenia. We think of Xenia. So, where we live, that is only a few fields away to the southeast of where we live right now. From our house, we could have watched this tornado travel its path all the way to Xenia if we'd lived here that afternoon. Which is crazy. Yeah. As it, as it moved to the northeast at about 50 miles per hour, it intensified in strength. The multi-vortex structure grew larger and larger as it came closer to Xenia. The tornado first hit the outskirts of Xenia and flattened what is known as Windsor Park and Arrowhead uh, subdivisions, a group of houses right there. Arrowhead was especially hard hit when the tornado hit, and it just left it in ruins. The four-year-old subdivision lost more than 300 homes. Many were on concrete slabs with no basements. The massive tornado continued its path into the heart of Xenia's downtown at approximately 4.40 p.m., It tore a path more than a half mile wide, destroying or damaging more than 1,400 buildings, including 1,200 homes, dozens of businesses, 10 churches, and several schools. A 52-car train that was traveling through Xenia at the time was derailed and the railroad cars were tossed around. It practically cut the city in half, and that hampered rescue efforts. The train did. Yeah, because it was knocked off, so... No one could travel for the... Yeah. Green Memorial Hospital in Northeast Xenia narrowly escaped the tornado's wrath, but it did lose power and telephone service and its water quality was brought into question. So when you get it... I mean, when you have something like this and the hospital is affected, like that's devastating. Um, About 500 people were treated there in the first 24 hours, 34 of them being admitted with a number transferred to hospitals in nearby Dayton for treatment. Now, by the time it lifted into nearby Cedarville, that tornado had left behind more than $100 million of damage in Greene County. So at this point, we are pleased and honored to have Catherine Wilson with us today. Um, Catherine is the executive director of the Greene County, Ohio Historical Society. And in addition to her position as the executive director, she also survived the tornado in 1974. She lived in the Arrowhead subdivision. So thank you, Catherine, for coming on the show. and Welcome to An Hour of Your Life. Good afternoon. So... 
how did the day start? What 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 well, happened that morning? I went to school like normal. <laughs> I was in the fourth grade at Arrowwood Elementary, and my sister was in kindergarten. Uh-huh. So we just went to school. It was a, just a normal day, and came home from school, and we had to go um, return something at the one of the local stores, Rinks. So mom got us in the car, and we went out there to return something or exchange something. I can't remember at this late date. Yeah. But we came back. It was over off of um, Dayton Avenue. Mm-hmm. And we lived across 35 and then back over into Arrowhead. Yeah. So we saw that there were some kind of rain clouds. So we drove home and my sister and I went to play outside and it was just a normal day. And then it started to get really, really dark. And this was in the the late afternoon. So not the time of day that it would normally get dark. Well, so you were home from school, so you were out playing at this right. point. Absolutely. Yeah. Out in the, either in the front or the backyard, I can't remember now. But we were outside playing, and it started to get really dark. Well, storm cloud dark, not dark as in night. Right. So, so we came in from playing. Yeah. So, But you still didn't have any indication. It just looked like another thunderstorm about to happen. Right. I mean, yeah. this is this is Ohio, and it was spring. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it happens regularly. Yeah. Exactly. So, so it started to get really dark, and we were inside the house, and we thought we would go out and look out the back window toward the north when all our weather comes toward the south. But we went and looked out the back windows, and it was, I mean, just kind of a weird greenish black. Mm-hmm. And it was so quiet because all the birds had stopped singing. Yeah. And that was very, very strange. So we started to see lightning coming down and it would stay down a long time. So mom said, well, let's go out and look out the front because that's where the weather comes from. And there was a great big dark cloud. It was gray, but it was kind of boiling. And she said, that's a tornado. Go get in the closet, in the coat closet. And I start cleaning out things that are on the floor, like scarves and boots and mittens and that kind of stuff. Uh But up on the very top shelf was one of those great big reel-to-reel tape recorders. Yep. Mom saw that and told us to go get in the bathtub because that was the center room. We did not have a basement. Arrowhead mostly didn't have basements. So we went and got in the bathtub. And... Took our mom and I took our glasses off, and mom, we got under her, and she laid on top of us in the bathroom. And then the noise began. Now you hear um, that a tornado sounds like a freight train. Would did you would you say that's accurate? Actually, my dad worked for the Air National Guard at the time as an airplane mechanic, so it sounded more like a jet engine to me. Oh wow! Loud. Very loud and yeah. very, you, there's, there's a piece on YouTube, I think is still on there someplace that you can hear the sounds of the tornado. And he, the guy that was there was much closer to downtown. Mm-hmm. So by the time it got near him, it was much, much louder and much, much larger and darker. All that black that you see in some of the pictures, that's shingles off the houses. Wow. Because most of most people had black shingles at the time. They didn't have the different colored ones, uh-huh. yeah. at least in our neighborhood. So that's 
part of my house you see <laughs> yeah i mean what, we could what, see things in the cloud that looked like pieces of paper but it apparently was walls drywall oh my and gosh. stuff like that so yeah it was terrifying yeah i mean when we look at the pictures it, it's it's an it, ugly it, storm. it's a very ugly tornado like when we picture tornadoes and a lot you see it's this very defined little funnel shaped cloud that touches the ground and goes up into the the clouds but the exactly. picture this storm it it just looks evil it looks ugly you know what i mean oh yeah i do yeah <laughs> she was in it yeah yeah so oh, what, yeah. what can you tell us a little bit about do you remember what it was like being i'm sure you do being in that bathtub with your little sister and your mom what was the was, was there what was the wind like um, and how, how did you guys manage to just kind of stay down and, and did you see anything while you were in the bathtub or were you just trying to keep your head down and not, not see anything? Well, we were keeping our heads down and praying at the top of our lungs, but mm. you could still hear the glass swirling and all the doors in the house closed because of the pressure. Yeah. And all of just they all slammed shut and the glass was hitting the walls and the screaming wind and we're screaming prayers at the top of our lungs. I didn't see anything because we were both, my sister and I were both kind of face hunkered down in the bathtub mm-hmm. and yeah. mom was, she had gotten on top of us oh. as much as she could. So, and I don't know, I mean, a bathtub is pretty slick. So we didn't, I'm, I'm surprised we didn't have like fingernail places <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So scratched the, into the tub, but we didn't. So when it came down, like when it when I say the tornado hit, it was probably very quick, but it seemed like forever. But oh, I'm sure. I mean, it was what, yeah. traveling 30, 40 miles an hour. So I mean, it passed over your home quickly, but the destruction in that short amount of time was incredible. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. It, it did seem like it seemed like forever that it lasted, but we it was probably a couple minutes. And then it was gone on toward downtown. Yeah. So w- was your house totally damaged, destroyed? No. It was damaged. All the windows were broken out, and a good bit of the roof was gone. But the house, the shell itself, is still there. And, you know, somebody lives in the house now. But, um, mm. yeah, we rebuilt yeah. the inside. We had to tear it out to the studs because a few days after the tornado, the uh, it rained and snowed. Oh my so goodness! So all, all the drywall and insulation and carpet, everything was just soaked. Oh. So they had to tear everything out to the studs and the shell of the brick. And our neighbors on either side were both destroyed. Wow! Isn't that amazing? How Cause, that well, because no one was home. No one was home, and everything was closed up. Oh, now I assume that your dad was at work at the time. Correct. Correct. What? How did? How did that? happen when he came home I mean did he get to come home pretty quickly after that or or how what happened you know after well, everything had passed yeah he was in the Air National Guard up at Springfield and my uncle worked there too he they and dad was in maintenance my uncle was in supply and somehow or another uncle Wayne got to go home too but he lived in Beaver Creek mm-hmm but when dad was coming down, he came down from Springfield down 68 and he only got so far on North Detroit street because of all the damage. Yeah. So he borrowed a bicycle and he started to ride continuing on down Detroit street, came down West main street, 
came right by the Historical Society, which is where I work now, uh-huh. down West Church and on toward toward Arrowhead, and he climbed through the train that was derailed across 35. Oh, my yeah. gosh. Yeah, yeah, with the borrowed bike. And my sister has a picture on her Facebook page right now of Dad on the bike that he borrowed, and we took it back after the tornado. <sighs> Yeah, and so, so this yeah. was before cell phones, but as we know, yeah. during tornadoes, you're good chance you're going to lose cell phone service. Right, it wouldn't matter so anyway. I could only imagine what your right. dad's thinking because he, he doesn't know what if you guys are safe well, yeah. or not. Yeah, exactly. And he was in uniform from being on on base. He was in his his fatigues, and people are plucking him by the arm, saying, well, "Have you seen my family? Can you help me find my family?" And he's trying to get home to his family. Yeah. He rarely talks about it now. Yeah. I imagine I because mean, I can only imagine what he went through. I mean, there's a lot of people I think that still have you know what we call now PTSD because of this. That think I, oh, yeah. I know a lot of people that get very very nervous when you see the clouds, and a, a lot of people. I, I don't want to say overreact because it's not, but oh yeah, there, 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 there are people that you know you know it looks like a rain cloud and some people still to this day will go to the basement even though there's no prediction it's yep. just because of the memories of yep. this yeah well the, i'm one of them yeah, yeah i mean the fact that you can still you were able to to recognize and recollect as a fourth grader that kind of eerie silence beforehand and still recall it so vividly so many years later so tells you know speaks volumes to how traumatic of an experience it was well, I still have tornado dreams. In fact, I had okay. one in February, and it was horrible. It woke me up. I was in a cold sweat. It was, oh, wow. I can't get away. I yeah. dream it, and I can't get away from it. Sometimes it's just, oh, look, out the window, there's a tornado, or sometimes it is right there in my face, and it's just awful. Yeah, I mean, I I can only imagine this. I mean, it's one thing to talk about it, but you lived it. it yeah. You were huddled in the bathtub with your sister and your mom, so it has to be a traumatic experience for you i mean you were a fourth grade little girl yeah oh yeah yep i sure was now do you remember anything about the rescue operations was your dad involved in that and kind of the aftermath and the rebuilding process either your own recollect recollections or you know now with your job that what you do can you talk a little about about the rescue and the recovery well, most of what Dad was doing afterward, he was, you know, he was still in the guard, and he was um, on duty to prevent looters. Mm-hmm. Um, the rescue and stuff that he wasn't so much involved with that that I can remember, but definitely on he he tells a story about being on the looting patrol essentially at two or so in the morning. And there are, you know, he's he's in this area that's completely devastated. Houses, pieces of houses are laying around. And a phone rings on the lone wall of a house. And he goes up and answers it. Because, you know, that's kind of ingrained in you. Yeah. And it's somebody calling from out of state wanting to know what happened to their family. And he's like, uh. <laughs> oh, my gosh. He's standing there with this one wall and a phone on it. It rings in the middle of the night. And wow. There he is. What do you do? That's kind of, uh, that's eerie. Yeah. Yeah. It is. 
and that that made a real impression on me when he came home and told that story to us. We we went and lived with the aunt and uncle, my uncle that was in the National Guard as well. We went over there and lived at their house in Beaver Creek until we rebuilt our house. How long did that take? I, from what I understand and what I've read, the recovery happened a lot faster than the Memorial Day tornadoes we just went through. It seems like people sure. rebuilt and were able, I don't know if that's because of insurance or whatever, but it seems like the recovery went a lot faster. It it seemed to. We were back in our house by late August. Uh-huh. Oh, that's pretty we quick. Lived, yeah, we lived across the street, I think, for about a month, and then we moved back in our house in late August. We started school back in September, my sister and I. Hmm. We, we've, I've got a picture of my sister and I standing in front of the house with our little lunch boxes, getting ready to go to school on the first day. So your school, was it damaged or? It was damaged, but not destroyed. It's, yeah. it's still there too. Yeah. It's, mm-hmm. a, um, it's something else now. It's a summit Academy. It's like a private school yeah. type deal, yeah. but, uh, cause they built all new elementary schools this, within the past five years. Do you remember what organizations so, came to help? I mean, we know the National Guard was there, the Red Cross. Right. Do you, do you and remember the Mennonites. The Mennonites? The Mennonites came, yep. Was there a large... They helped. Was there a they large, helped rebuild our house. Was there a Sorry. large church presence? Because I, re, I remember after the Memorial Day tornadoes, it seemed like for the immediate cleanup and stuff like that, there were a few of the large churches that had teams trained in... Disaster relief. Yeah. Was that about the same thing, or where did the immediate relief come from? Uh, well, as I remember, because everybody, I mean, all the all the churches in Xenia, pretty much some of them were affected more than others, of course. Uh-huh. But I think it was the outside groups like the Mennonites and, oh, Lordy, I can't remember right off the top of my hat. Yeah. From my own from my own experience, because we rebuilt, Mennonites helped, and then some family friends helped. And Dad always liked to do construction type yeah. work as a hobby, so that was that was where our rebuilding came from. Yeah. But as I recall, it was a, I could look at I mean I could look it up, but. <laughs> Like oh, that's I say, okay. my own experience, my own experience is. Yeah. I mean, again, you were fourth grade. Right, I, sure. I just, yeah. yeah I, so. was, I was nine years old yeah. and all I could, every time we would come back to work on the house, my stomach would hurt. Yeah. Do you remember driving through town or did your parents kind of shield you from that to see the damage or? No, we did not go sightseeing. No. Okay. No. Yeah. Okay. Um, we wanted to get the heck out. I can understand <laughs> we didn't that. want to be in there. Well, when right afterward, there was one of the houses on our block, two doors down from us, was not as badly damaged as the rest of the block. So all the parents brought all the kids to that one house. And we all knew each other, of course. So we yeah. kind of sat around and talked and played and whatever we did, sat around and looked shocked or whatever. But then individual parents would take us to wherever we were going to go. Mm. And I heard one of my neighbor kids, they were going to Blanchester down in Clinton County. Mm-hmm. And what I heard was Manchester where my grandparents lived down on the river. So I was going to go with them to grandma's house. <laughs> and mom said, no, no, you're going with us to our aunt, your aunt's house. Okay. I can deal with that. 
<laughs> so do you have any thoughts about um, just the, the spirit of the people of Xenia? The, the, I mean, that story kind of tells how everybody kind of came together. Um, and one of the things that I am, you know, I'm a lifelong resident of Dayton in the Dayton area. And that's always been one of the things that I love most about this area is that people really stick together um, and they help each other out. And it, was that the case back then as well? Yes, I would say so. Mm-hmm. Hmm. We we come together against whatever we need to. Very resilient, very strong in that fashion. Yeah, absolutely. All right. Well, um, we just, I'm sure you have to get back to, uh, to your job there at the Green County Historical Society. Thank you so much, Catherine, for taking the time to, to sit and talk with us a little bit about, um, the anniversary today. Go ahead and plug the Green County Historical Society a little bit. Where can, where are you guys located? What do you have to offer? What are your hours? All that good stuff. Okay. We are at 74 West Church Street in Xenia, about a block and a half north of the courthouse. We've got a log house that dates from 1799, a Victorian house, Victorian Edwardian, that is uh, furnished like 1870 to 1920, and then a carriage house behind those two buildings on church that has three floors and is handicap accessible. We have everything from a permanent tornado exhibit to a model train layout of what Xenia used to look like in the 1940s. Um, a, a blacksmith shop and barn displays that kind of stuff for the late 19th, early 20th century. So we've got quite a bit to offer. We are open currently to the public on Tuesday and Thursday from noon to four and Saturday from noon to three thirty. And I would be glad to show people around. And we also have a caboose on South Detroit that is open by appointment. Yeah. So you can look at the railroad history of Green County and all kinds of neat stuff. Very cool. Kim doesn't know it yet, but when we're done, we get this show, this episode <laughs> up. She doesn't know it yet, but we're driving down to Xenia and we're going to come to the historical site. So, so we'll get so to we'll meet you in soon. person this afternoon. <laughs> okay. And I've got a visitor here right now. He's wandering around. He seems to be happy. <laughs> well, so. well, thank you so much for taking time and we'll let you go talk with your visitor and thank you again for coming on the show. Oh, no problem. All right. We'll see you in a little bit. Okay. Bye-bye. Thank, thank you. So really powerful story there. I can't even imagine. And we mentioned, um, the, the Memorial Day tornado that happened, uh, it'll be two years ago. No, one, a year ago, this Memorial, is it two years already? This Memorial Day. Uh, and we'll get more into that a little bit later, but, um, but you know, that's kind of, uh, uh, going into the bathtub and just kind of hunkering down while your house falls apart above you, um, is something that happened back then as well. I, I, I mean, cannot she, even she was, imagine. She was just a fourth, How a little girl. She was in fourth terrifying grade. Terrifying yeah. must that be. Obviously, yeah. I mean, she still has nightmares and, and issues with it. Um, I I just can't imagine. And it's one of those things that you realize um, how incredibly powerful mother nature is. Yeah. And we like to think as humans and as, um, you know, science and technology evolve and get 
you know, bigger and better that we tend to be able to think that we can harness the power of nature. But this is a very good reminder that nature, uh, it, it, in the words of, you know, reminds me of that scene in Jurassic Park where um, Jeff Goldblum is, you know, going on about how nature is going to win every time. Yeah. So uh, let's get back into our, our kind of our narrative a little bit about yeah. the tornado and about that day in 1974. Yeah. So if you want to look at Xenia, Ohio on a map, the, the, the trace, the trail that the tornado took, roughly if you follow US-42, it that's generally the line, you know, so if you're not from the area and you just want to look at the map, mm-hmm. find US-42 and you'll see Bellbrook, Ohio, and just follow US-42. And that's generally the line that the tornado took. You know, as it started, it was a couple miles away from it. One way or another. Yeah, yeah. Generally, generally it follows US-42. A total of 35 people were killed because of the tornado. 33 the day the tornado and then two died later as a result of the storm. At that time, the damage of the tornado was estimated at $100 million, which in today's dollars would be a half billion dollars. Uh, We have a picture on our website that we mentioned that you can look at the destruction of downtown Xenia and just, it's, it's hard to imagine the force, like you just said, the force of nature and what it could do. Yeah. And, uh, and speaking of pictures, uh, I just, hit um the green county historical society's facebook page and they're doing pictures all day today of the aftermath of the tornado so if you want to see more pictures um go to green county historical society's facebook page yeah so in the months following the tornado dr fajita who is the The expert yeah the f in the f number tornadoes he's he's the dr fauci of uh tornadoes (laughs) And uh, other experts conducted a lot of analysis of the damage and to determine exactly what happened. And it, it led to a lot of stuff later on, just the, well, let's, let's call it tornado science. Yeah, oh, yeah. And the Xenia tornado was, in fact, the worst of all the 148 tornadoes of the super outbreak during this outbreak right there. Other tornadoes continued to form into the afternoon and on the evening hours of April 3rd. About an hour after the Xenia tornado, another violent F5 tornado took and hit the western suburbs of Cincinnati, Ohio. Now, Cincinnati is probably 30, 35 miles as the, as the crow flies away. So it's, it's all in this area. So this tornado originated near Rising Sun in Indiana around 5.30 p.m. It crossed through Kentucky and then crossed the Ohio River, giving it the infamy of being the tornado that passed through three states during the super outbreak. This particular tornado inflicted severe damage in Sailor Park and other neighborhoods around and west of Cincinnati. There were no fatalities associated with this touchdown. And this is kind of attributed to the fact that the Xenia tornado news spread quickly mm. and the people of down in Cincinnati were on high alert and they were watching. I mean, by this time they knew the news and radio had broadcast the destruction that happened in Xenia. So people were taking the tornadoes super, super serious. The the tornado was observed by those at the Greater Cincinnati International Airport and the WSO at Cincinnati, 
which had issued the tornado warning. So it was right there where, where they yeah. were. Now at about 5.40 p.m., the power went out at WSO Cincinnati, which resulted in a loss of radar, teletype, and most means of communication, which obviously is incredibly dangerous. The power outage then interfered with their ability to watch, to monitor, and to predict future tornadoes. It was out for three hours, and uh, but the NWS in Cincinnati had some backup radar imagery available from the Air Force and the FAA and had the NWS in Cleveland issue warnings for them. So they were prepared. They had backup plans. They did, but it's still, gosh, can you imagine but if you were in Cincinnati? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And remember, this is 1974. This is like pre-cell phone, pre, you know. Yeah. Um, so it's not the technology that we have now. Fortunately, most of the worst tornadoes had already occurred before the power went down. But the need for emergency power backup at at the National Weather Service offices was recognized following this event. During the night of the super outbreak, the storms caused 315 fatalities along with 5,484 injuries. Damages at that time were estimated at more than $600 million, which is $3.3 billion today. In addition, this is in addition to what had already happened that day. So yeah. the half billion dollars that had already happened in Xenia. Yeah, and those 5,484, those were just the physical injuries at the time. Sure, and that's just, not and counting just heard, the emotional, yeah, yeah that yeah. trauma. When the storm surveys were completed, seven tornadoes were rated as an F5, 23 were rated as F4, and 35 were rated at an F3 strength. The final two tornadoes of the outbreak occurred in North Carolina on the morning of April 4th. The 148th and final tornado of this 16-hour outbreak was reported in Caldwell County in the North Carolina foothills. And in the aftermath, the destruction stretched over 2,500 miles and 13 states. Remember, we we described this as the perfect storm of how all this formed to come there. So let's go back to Xenia. And Xenia rescue work started immediately with local fire and rescue. And again, just as we heard, there were problems because of all the debris. This mm-hmm. train had been derailed, which... That's crazy the, that her dad it, it, just climbed through this derailed yeah, train. So the rescue operations, the ambulances and all that stuff, yeah, they couldn't, couldn't travel there. because there was a train blocking the town. Um, so we, we, we had the local fire rescue, the Xenia police, the Greene County Sheriff, local citizens... And construction companies used their equipment to assist. Wright-Patterson Air Force Base uh, went on full support with medical assistance, heavy equipment for rescue, and I believe they also took in injured to the base hospital at this time. Which, to give you kind of some perspective, um, I would say, what, maybe 10, 15 miles from downtown Xenia? The, is the, base the, is in, base is. the base is in Greene County. Yeah, so, so it's from the heart of yeah. Xenia, I would say maybe 10, 15 miles. So it's it's relatively close. Help poured in from local and the nearby communities. The Ohio National Guard, the Ohio Air National Guard were mobilized to assist, just as she said her dad did, to assist in the recovery and to prevent looting. Exactly what her, her dad and her father did. Mm-hmm. The Guard also used their helicopters to fly out to check on the farms and the rural areas to check that the people were okay and to provide assistance. Now, the 33 people that were killed during the storm, then we said there were two others that died as a result of the storm. Staff Sergeants Walter A. Radwanek and Terry L. Regula 
were killed a few days after the storm as part of the the guard when they were they were guarding a building and i believe they were they they, they stayed in the building to prevent mm. looters and things like that sure the building caught on fire and they they died in the fire. And do was it do you know if it was related to the tornado? The fire was related I'm sure to it structural was. damage I, and I'm, stuff. I'm sure it was. Yeah. There was probably gas leaks and all sorts of things, but I couldn't find anything that Sure. but yeah, it's yeah, yeah I'm I'm sure it was. Red Cross and regional aid workers also came to the aid of the people of Xenia. HUD arrived to organize housing the and we mentioned earlier President Nixon made that unannounced visit just days after the tragedy. In May, he signed amendments to the, to the Disaster Relief Act of 1974 to include tornado recovery. Just the adrenaline of crisis just pulled the people of Xenia together quickly. Days after the tornado, there were Xenia Lives bumper stickers, and the Spirit of 74 Committee was assembled to, to map the way forward. I mean, they knew it could happen, but... This tragedy helped prepare for future disasters and future things. As city leaders made plans for residential and commercial redevelopment, mm-hmm. you know, just like she said, you know, people got together and they they rebuilt. You take care yeah. of your own. Some of the challenges they faced sound familiar to today's pandemic. What we're going through right now, there was unemployment, schools were closed, canceled events, and there was grief. But rebuilding was the goal, and Xenia rebuilt. Xenia, they, they quickly went into the recovery mode. By April 3rd, 1975, 80% of the destroyed homes and 40% of the businesses have been rebuilt. Which is pretty impressive. Yeah. In a year, that's a lot. Yeah. I mean, we still, in, in Beaver Creek, they're still having, people still have... Two years later. Yeah, two years later. They don't have roofs. Yeah, still working on roofs. But you got to throw in the pandemic and stuff like that. Sure, so, yeah. yeah, that's fair. Yeah, little, some different circumstances. It would take until 1984 for all the structures to be rebuilt or repaired. So a full decade to get fully back. Yeah. Now, a lot of lessons were learned after that super outbreak. Um, The lessons have since been studied and adopted by various government agencies to mitigate hazards in future severe weather outbreaks. Because of that super outbreak, a lot of changes happened to weather reporting, including outdoor warning sirens, emergency power backups, like we mentioned, and wider use of radar at NWS stations. Cincinnati had radar back then, but Dayton didn't, which I kind of understand. They're a little bit bigger city than we are, but um, the outbreak- Not as important. (laughs) Watch out. Uh, The outbreak prompted the NWS to adopt the F0 to F5 Fujita scale as a standard for tracking the um, and describing the severity of a tornado. It's since been updated as the enhanced Fujita scale, so the EF uh, system. Aerial photos of the Xenia debris and snapshots of the Sailor Park funnel cloud helped scientists figure out what happened in the storms. There was a lot of study done with this. Yeah, uh, the storm highlighted the critical need for research funding and funding came, which was fortunate. Um, It provided the research that ultimately led to the development of Doppler radar. That result increased uh, lead times for warnings, more accurate forecasts of events, greater public awareness, and more reliable communications. And today, we obviously have the advantage of even greater technology and systems. Now, if you have a cell phone, you probably have the wireless emergency alert system on your cell phone, also known as the WEA, which was established in 2008 and then became operational in 2012. Yeah, so when it works, when the Dayton area was hit by the Memorial Day t- 
tornadoes in 2019, Kim and I were in the basement. We were watching Netflix, and we weren't obviously not on the local TV channels when our mm-hmm. phones alerted us to the outbreak that was happening. And we had no idea. Yeah, we had no idea. So this the system works. After our phones alerted us, then we knew and we switched over to local news to monitor and track what was happening. And Kim, do you remember watching the storm on the Memorial Day? You I could, do, yeah. And we talk about the technology of the Doppler radar and what it can do now. You could see the tornadoes and on they, the TV screen, and they were kind of like a gray image, but you just saw you know, yeah, the storm and, they would tell and you, this little green dot. Yeah, and they would tell you, if you're on this street, it's here now. If you're yeah. on this next street over, it's coming. Now, we keep mentioning the Memorial Day tornadoes. We should probably give a little bit of insight into that if you're not from the Dayton area. Yeah, sure. On that night, 19 tornadoes touched down in and around Dayton area. It's what we call the Miami Valley. Mm -hmm. This outbreak set a state record for the most tornadoes produced from a single event. One of the tornadoes was an EF4 that measured 0.6 miles wide and was on the ground for 20 miles. Now, unfortunately, this tornado was not out in the farmland. It, It tore through a very urban and populated area of several communities, Starting out in Trotwood and mm-hmm. clear through clear through Dayton. Yeah, and unfortunately, it hit some of the areas and then in the area that were um, uh, fairly low income areas already. Yeah. So that tornado also hit our town of Beaver Creek, and when it did, it was well, no, this was a different. It, it was 0.7 miles wide, and this tornado was on the ground for 10 miles. So there were out of those 19 tornadoes, that one went through, went back up the clouds. And then another tornado came through Beaver Creek. And then on that same night, minutes later, another tornado formed and essentially took this almost the identical track and path of the first tornado that hit Beaver Creek. Yeah, it, was, it, was, it was bad. Yeah. Um, in April 2011, the term super outbreak was no longer used to describe the outbreak of April 3rd and 4th, 1974. On April 25th through 28th, 2011, a weather system produced 360 tornadoes in a three-day period. This occurred less than two weeks after the April 16th tornado in 2011 that impacted um, central and northeastern Carolina, or North Carolina. And as of April 2011, the super outbreak is now referred to as the 1974 super outbreak. And... Obviously, since 1974, Xenia has since been hit by other tornadoes. It is the land of the devil wind, after all. On April 25th, 1989, a small tornado was spotted near Fairground Road, west of Xenia. Hit Xenia at 9.35 p.m. This one, there was no warning. The National Weather Service and public safety agencies had no reason to believe the incoming storm posed a threat to the community. Fortunately, no one lost their lives, but there was $1.2 million of damage. Uh, that was just an F2 tornado. It had winds of 100 to 123 miles an hour and damaged 106 houses and 10 businesses. So that gives you some insight. An, an yeah, F2, which is kind of a- It was only an right, F2. Well, that's what I'm yeah. saying. Yeah. It, this was just an F2 caused um, a, one, over a million dollars worth of damage. The 1974 tornado was an F5. So that over gives 300 you- 300 mile an hour winds. Yeah, yeah. So that gives you an idea of the Fujita scale. On September 20th, 2000, another tornado hit Xenia again. Now, this tornado, like a lot of them, began west of town, hit Xenia just before 7.30 p.m. 
This one actually followed a very similar path just north of the 1974 tornado. And that one was an F4, and it again caused severe damage throughout Xenia, destroying or damaging more than 300 homes and 30 businesses. Fortunately, that one was slightly more rural, so it didn't do as much um, urban damage. Uh, But one gentleman at the fairgrounds was unfortunately killed when a tree fell and crushed his car. More than 100 people were injured. And again, this storm came with no warning from the National Weather Service, but the Emergency Operating Center did issue a tornado warning. It's possible that only one of the city's five sirens sounded due to power outages. So again, makes that phone system alert system super important now. Um, on April 3rd, 2018, a smaller EF1 tornado with winds of 95 miles an hour and about 200 wi- yards wide um, touched down just west of Xenia in Beaver Creek Township and stayed on the ground for 8.75 miles just before it dissipated near Clifton, Ohio. Thankfully, that one stayed in rural farmland. A few homes, barns, and a silo were damaged. I remember there were a bunch of pigs that got loose and people were trying to round up the pigs out in the farms. Um, Thankfully, nobody was injured. There was no loss of life. But one thing to definitely take away from all of this is how incredibly deadly a tornado can be. Yeah, I think we've made it pretty clear that just because we now have all the sophisticated weather warning the, the systems, a tornado can happen with little or no warning. Oh, it yeah. can literally just drop out of the sky. Yes. So if you're under a tornado watch, pay attention to the local TV and the radio. Be prepared to take shelter immediately. If you are under a tornado warning, get to shelter immediately. A tornado has been verified and it's on the ground. Get below ground if at all possible. Mm-hmm. If you can't do that, just like Ms. Wilson said, Seek shelter and in an inner room of your house. And just like she said, you know, look at that. Her mom moved her out of the closet because there was heavy stuff up above it. Yeah. That was quick and good thing. may have saved their lives. Yeah. yeah. So a, a bathtub just may very well be your best protection. Protect we, your we head. We saw, I want to interrupt you just for a second on that bathtub thing. We saw that happen firsthand um, after the Memorial Day tornado. Steve and I went out and did some uh, cleanup work in the area um, because it was, you know, not very far at all from where we were living. Um, and one of the ladies that we cleaned up her house, literally the entire house, like it was her bathtub where she was with, I think she was with her dog, maybe. Yeah, the house Um, was gone. It was gone. There was, her bathtub was still there. And that was how she managed to to survive. So never, it sounds a little, if you're not from this part of the country or you've never experienced a tornado, you think a bathtub, what's that going to do? Literally will save your life. Yeah. So protect your head, cover yourself with thick blankets or quilts. If that is impossible, get underneath a sturdy table. A few other lessons learned for tornadoes. Mm -hmm. Buy an emergency radio that has a crank charger in case you're without electricity for four days. If it's a major storm, you are going to be without electricity. So get one of those that has the crank that you can recharge. A lot of those radios now have USB plugs that you can charge your phone with. If you have cell service, um, because the tornado may take out the the cell cell clouds, or or the wing can twist the radar dishes, the, the microwave dishes, And your cell service is likely going to be disrupted. The radio may be the primary way you're going to initially get your relief information. Mm -hmm. Personally, I wouldn't stock (laughs) too much water. Relief agencies 
are going to supply you with more water than you could ever possibly drink. Keep a case or two on hand. I'd say three days worth of water, but that's that's not one of those things that you really want to stock up and have because there's going to be so much water around like I said, you won't be able to drink at all. Yeah, after the Memorial Day tornadoes, I remember literally there were just piles of cases of water on street corners yeah, that you it, could just drive by and just get free yeah, water even, everywhere. Even after, even after all the relief work, there were mountains of yeah, water. Yeah, so still much water. Yeah, I mean, for weeks and months after that. So if you aren't using your tub for shelter, you might want to fill the tub with water to flush your toilets. I mean, this little things you may not think about. Right. Make copies of your driver's license, your passports, birth certificates, marriage certificates, credit cards, and other important documents. Put them in a fireproof box and put them in a safe place where they can be found. There are a lot of stories we've heard through the Facebook pages and stuff like that where people had really difficult times having to replace their driver's license because their purses had blown away or their Mm -hmm. documentation. And this is even more vital now that... We're, we're all going, all the states are going to the enhanced driver's license. You just can't go down and say, I, yeah. I need my new driver's license. You got to have yeah. like three copies of identification and you have to really prove who you are yeah. for the new and, enhanced stuff. And that's not something I ever would have thought about. Yeah. You're just not going to go down to BMV and get a new driver's license. So in the world we live in now, proof of identity and documentation is really, it's harder to establish What it really comes down to is have a plan. A little prior thought can save you a lot of headache down the road. I know, I know we sound like a bunch of worrywarts or something, but it happens every year. This stuff happens. Yes. Some of us live in tornado prone areas. Some of us live in hurricane areas. Some of us live in earthquake earthquake zones. zones. Yeah. Same. I mean, we still say the same thing, especially with identification and bank cards and stuff have a backup plan. That fireproof box, we practice what we preach on that one. Um, it stays in the basement because, I mean, that obviously that's where we are, where we would need to have it. If you live in a hurricane zone, I know that a lot of times they don't have basements. Um, and I don't know that it would necessarily help because you have flooding. If you live in an earthquake zone, have that fireproof box with your backup um uh, like IDs and everything, credit cards, all that kind of stuff, have it someplace where you know where it is, where you can quickly grab it and go. All we're trying to say is that it's not good to just have the mentality of it can't, it can't happen to me. It's not ever going to happen to me because we actually kind of thought that a little bit living in Beaver Creek, we thought, well, we're not in Xenia. Uh, and it came right down the road. So Um, We've done our best to document the April 3rd tornado in Xenia in 1974. Tornadoes are a part of life here. Um, And I guess the Shawnee people knew that all along, living in the land of the devil wind. Yeah. They're they're nothing to mess with. Absolutely. So just, um, you know, tornado season's getting ready to gear up. So now is the time to, if you you live in a tornado-prone area, now's the time to start getting your stuff together, getting prepared, um, stocking your basement, and just being aware. All right. Well, that should wrap up our show on the Xenia Tornado of 1974. Kim, how do people get hold of us? You can go to our website, anhouroofyourlife.com. You can shoot us an email at alosthour at gmail.com. From the website. You can just hit the button. You can talk to us from the website. That's fine, too. Um, You can also find us on all the socials. uh, On Twitter, it's alosthour. On Facebook and Instagram, it's an hour of your life. 
Um, and again, we love to hear from, from listeners. If you have any questions, if you have any suggestions for shows, um, we'd love to hear from you. We have a couple of things in the pipeline that we are not ready to announce yet, but keep, keep watching because yeah. keep listening because we got some really exciting stuff coming up. I would also recommend if you want to learn more about the tornado of 1974 to go to the Greene County Historical Society, take a tour and learn. There's a lot of exhibits. There's a lot of things there. Like she said, there's a permanent exhibit. It's Kim and I are going to be heading down there in just a few minutes. Yep. I, I've never been. I'm very excited to go. All right. I think that's it for this week. I think so. Powerful episode, I think. Yeah. Yeah. And, and thank you to uh, Ms. Wilson for being yeah, a part of this absolutely. and sharing and being so open with that. So we, we thank you from the bottom of our hearts. Absolutely. Anything else, Kim? I think that's it. All right. So from our studio in Sugar Creek Township. Thanks for spending an hour of your life with us. Lots of sources this week. They include Ohio History Central, Wikipedia, Spectrum Local News, the Xenia Gazette, National Weather Service, Cincinnati Magazine, the United States Air Force, the Federal Communication Commission, the Ohio National Guard, the U.S. Army, John Holtgren, EMS-1, the Greene County Historical Society, and of course, the lovely Miss Catherine Wilson.